And happy off-season, everyone. The Daily Dose of Hoops podcast back with you, starting up season number two, even though the games won't start until November. College basketball chatter never stops. Shaden Daly here with you, hoping you're enjoying the off-season and what's left of the summer before practice starts, some exhibition games are upon us, and then November 9th, the start of 2021-22 season, and to shed some further light on this, we'll bring in somebody who helped us launch this venture back on New Year's Day, and he's back for a second appearance on our podcast. That is the one and only from Fox Sports and the Big East Digital Network, John Fanta, who joins us once again. John, always a pleasure, buddy. Great to hear from you. How's your offseason going? Jaden, it's always a pleasure to be with you. The offseason's going well. Enjoying some time this summer and getting down the Jersey Shore, having a Friday happy hour at Leggett's, eating some good pizza. Uh, things are good. Things are good. It's always nice to get a little bit of relaxation time. And uh, I have the, the fortunate ability to move around a little bit between New Jersey and then where my family's from back in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, if you don't know that yet uh, and you follow me, I, I'm not sure. You might be living under a rock, but uh, getting excited here for the fall, getting excited for Brown season, all is well in my life. And uh, I cannot wait, cannot wait for fans back in the stands, for college basketball back in our lives. And I think with the way that last year went, which really got capped off with an incredible NCAA tournament, that Gonzaga UCLA game was the, the ultimate showcase of the sport. You have a lot of kids coming back. A lot of kids who have elected to come back to college, if they've transferred, they've, they've transferred. But the point is the sport is loaded with experience this year. It should really be a terrific year for college basketball. I think that the sport is in for one of its best years in, in quite some time. And you touched on some of the returning players this season, but I want to get into some of the players that were selected in the NBA draft at the end of July. It's August 4th as we record this now today. So last Thursday, the NBA draft took place at Barclays Center. James Booknight from UConn, the leading Big East selection going to the Charlotte Hornets at number 11. Sandra Mamukalashvili of Seton Hall representing the locals. He gets a great fit with the Milwaukee Bucks. He went 54th overall, and now his already expanding game gets to take even greater flight learning from the lights of Giannis Adetokounmpo in practice, as well as Chris Middleton. John, you look at some of the other Big East players who got drafted, Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova is another one who comes to mind, as well as Marcus Zedorowski, the Creighton point guard who got drafted by the Brooklyn Nets. Who do you see making the biggest impact? Obviously, Booknight will probably be the the first choice there, being that he was a lottery pick. But where do you see some of the other players who were not drafted like David Duke on the summer lead roster for the Nets. Where do you see some of the other Big East players fitting in and potentially making an impact in their rookie NBA campaigns? Well, it's a great question. And I, I think that Damian Jefferson is a guy from Creighton who is joining the Sacramento Kings summer league team. Uh, Damian Jefferson is someone that I think could end up carving away to a two-way contract to perhaps uh, uh, a situation where he is in the G League next year and he is going back and forth, bouncing around a little bit. I just love the way that this kid plays the game. And I think, Jaden, that at six foot eight, 
He does a lot of the little things the, the right way. His fingerprints were all over Creighton's success this past season. And in the modern-day NBA, where wing play has never been more important, I like Damian Jefferson's skill set. Um, and I think that with a team like Sacramento, he could get a shot. He could get a crack. I expect James Book Knight to make an immediate impact. I would think that Jeremiah Robinson Earl, because of the Villanova pedigree of success before him, because of his six foot nine frame, and you and I both have seen it, the ability to hit the 15 to 17 foot jump shot, which is coming back, by the way, in this sport. I like his upside too in the NBA. Zigarowski, I, I think it's a great story that he got drafted. Um, to, to get drafted by Brooklyn, really something. I'm wondering if he can be able to pave out a, a career. The kid has the attitude. He's got the drive. The size is a bit of a concern, and I wonder if, if that ends up being something that's, that's hard for him to overcome. Mamu really to the Bucks could be a really fascinating fit. Milwaukee takes a lot of pride in their ability to develop talent and their ability to get a crop of players who they have drafted, who then they take under their wing, and they develop them. Jordan Nora from Louisville comes to mind. Dante DiVincenzo from Villanova comes to mind. They try to retain those players. So Mamu really might not do something right away, but the G League has continually progressed. And there are so many more NBA players that are coming from the G League than we've ever seen before. So there really is a developmental aspect to the game. Uh, but if there's a guy that went undrafted that I think has upside, I'd have to go with Jamie and Jefferson. Because I saw him make too many winning plays for Creighton this past season to not think that he could make an impact in the National Basketball Association at some point. Good point on Damian Jefferson. I can recall his game at St. John's last year where he flirted with a triple-double and was oh. the center of attention for the Blue Jays. Fred McDermott was raving about him in the post-game Zoom that you and I both crashed that night. And yes. I remember writing, I remember writing a feature on him that night and I was very impressed. So I, I appreciate the Jefferson love there. Now we'll go into the locals a little bit. We're talking to John Fanta, Fox sports and the Bid East digital network, shedding some light on the Bid East and what to expect going into this season. St. John's is one of the several stories in the off season, Mike Anderson building on a successful second campaign in Queens. Now, bringing back perhaps his most loaded and talented roster in year three. Julian Champagny tested the NBA draft waters, but he's back for his junior season. Montez Mattis transfers in from Rutgers. Aaron Wheeler is transferring in from Purdue, and the consensus is he'll be an immediate impact player as well. Joel Soriano from Fordham is coming in, giving the Red Storm something that is desperately craved over the past several years, and that is a big man who can bump and bang and crash the boards, play down low, and give St. John's a formidable front court. And you pair that up with Posh Alexander, with Dylan Adai-Wusu coming off the bench, and now Steph Smith, the grad transfer from Vermont, who is a spot-up shooter and can knock down a three at any given moment. John, you've seen the Red Storm just as much as anybody. How high are you on Mike Anderson's group this season? And is – a second-round NCAA tournament appearance, a reasonable expectation for a Johnny's roster that can easily win 21-22 games? 
it is a reasonable expectation, and this team should make the NCAA tournament. This team should be contending for the number two spot in the Big East. And the reason why I say number two is because there's no question in my mind Villanova's going to be number one in this conference this upcoming season. Let's look at St. John's. This is a team that did have the transfer situation hit them at the start of the offseason. And a lot of people thought, well, why, why? I mean, why six, seven, eight transfers, departures that we've got happening here? Look, it's part of the sport. It is. And what St. John's has done in this offseason, Jaden, has been terrific. In fact, I think that they have benefited off this offseason as much as any team in their conference because they've made additions that make sense for the Mike Anderson era. He brought in Vince Cole and Isaiah Moore heading into last season to accelerate, to attempt to accelerate, rather. You try to bring in those types of JUCO guys, those types of maybe quick fixes to see if you could make that leap. Well, St. John's made the leap, but they made the leap behind a freshman in Pasha Alexander and behind Julian Champagny's growth. Champagny sets the tone in that locker room. Pasha Alexander sets the tone on the floor with how aggressively he plays. They're both leaders. They need to be the center of attention for this team. And when kids transferred and said, you know, they were not happy at times with the attention and who was getting it, whatnot, uh, you know what? I would have approached things the way that Mike Anderson and his staff did. you got to recognize the star power. Posh and Julian were the two stars. Now, how do you build a roster around them? They've done that. I've heard good things about Aaron Wheeler, the Purdue transfer. At the end of the day, he was practicing for Matt Painter, inside Matt Painter's gym. In the Big Ten, he was able to face Big Ten caliber big men. That's going to pay off in the Big East, a conference that doesn't have a ton of great centers. Aaron Wheeler should be able to fit in well in this league. Joel Soriano from Fordham. I expect him to contribute as well and, and be someone who makes an impact. St. John's has had guard play. They've had wing play. What they haven't had, Jaden, is the length inside, the bangers inside to win them games, to out-rebound teams. They now have that length. They have answered that question. Um, and I think that when you pair those guys up and you look at – I've heard good things about Steph Smith. He's going to understand his role. Montez Mathis is going to understand his place on the floor. And Mike Anderson does a very good job of sorting through his rotations, figuring out roles, understanding that whoever starts the game may not be closing the game. I think that St. John's should be a team that is expecting to make the NCAA tournament and get a win or two in the NCAA tournament. It is year three of the Mike Anderson era. Um, he wins Big East Coach of the Year last season. He shows us what he's capable of. I really like what we're seeing right now from this program. And I think now, more than anything, and Jaden, you've been around St. John's long enough to know this, there has not been a connection. There has not been a connection between the head coach, the athletic director, and the president like what we are seeing right now. St. John's hiring Brian Shanley from Providence. Brian Shanley retires from Providence as the president of the college. St. John's hiring him. That is a, an absolute home run hire for a president. You have to have competency at all those positions. St. John's really does have that leadership now. Their AD, Mike Craig, gets it. 
coming over from Duke. He's done a good job at establishing a culture inside the building. And Mike Anderson can be the guy to now put it in the wing column like he did last year. This should be an NCAA tournament team this season. Anything less would be a failure. Talking about the Red Storm with John Fanta of FoxSports.com and the BDU's digital network. St. John's projected to be a top two or three team in the Big East Conference this season. So, too, is Seton Hall, who also had some transfers come in and a couple of them leave to call Molson transferred out. But coming in, Alexis Yetna from South Florida. Also, Kadari Richmond from Syracuse. Jameer Harris from American, a 20-point-per-game scorer who will go right into the backcourt to replace Shavar Reynolds. You have Bryce Aiken potentially coming back. Iko Biagu coming back down low, Jared Roden as the potential superstar. And you look at maybe a Tyree Samuel having a bigger role coming off the bench. Miles Kale is back for his fifth year. John Kevin Willard has had talented rosters and has managed his rotations better than probably anybody in the Big East outside of Jay Wright. Is there a reason to believe that the Pirates last season was more of an anomaly and the expectations and the status quo that we've come to expect in South Orange will be returning this year. I think that to believe that Seton Hall will be a very solid team in the conference. And I think that this team has depth. I mean, this might be one of Kevin Willard's deeper teams. They might not have the Isaiah Whitehead or Miles Powell, although Jared do believe it, Jared. Uh, But I'm really curious to see how Willard manages through the rotations, especially in the backcourt, because Kadari Richmond's someone who's going to get a lot of playing time. He defends. He's long. We have to see how his offensive game evolves, but he's going to be able to play a role at Seton Hall that he could not play at Syracuse. And the big question mark is Bryce Aiken's health. You know, Bryce Aiken is coming back. uh, But the question is, is Bryce Aiken going to be someone who they can count on? You can't go into the season counting on a whole lot. They got to save him for the key moments of the season. So Willard's ability to balance that is going to be really interesting. They bring in Brandon Weston, Ryan Conway. You know, when you bring in freshmen, Now, in the transfer times, you've got to manage how you're going to handle freshmen, how you're going to be realistic with expectations, what you're going to do with that playing time. And bringing back Miles Kale is a good thing. For Miles Kale, though, offensive consistency has to be there for him to be a factor for this Seton Hall team. Because Miles Kale, as good of a defender as he is, has hurt this team in the past because of, of a lack of a perimeter shot and a lack of real offensive consistency. So they have to make sure that they can get Miles Kale going consistently and being efficient with the basketball. Everything revolves around Roden. Um, and I think that for Seton Hall, my concern is actually the front court because at the four, you now have Alexis Yetna and you have Tyree Samuel. And I think, Jaden, that those two players are going to be able to piece something together But it's really about time that Tyree Samuel puts it together. He has to put it together this upcoming season. There have to be elevated expectations for Samuel. He there's an open door for him to have a role. No longer does he have to be behind Iko Biagu, Sandro Mamou Kelashvili in the front court, and maybe he gets some playing time. Tyree Samuel has to deliver now. 
And I think he's one of the, the real X factors, not just at Seton Hall, but in the Big East this season. Because if he could play well, then he's someone who could really shift them into a different level. Um, so for me, Seton Hall's loaded with options. You want to make sure you find the best five. And I actually think right now, if I asked 10 people, who do you think Seton Hall's best starting five is, you might get some different answers. You know, you might get somebody who says they want to play Richmond, Roden, Yetna, Obiagu, and then maybe it's a Harris, and then you bring Kale off the bench, or maybe you start Kale for seniority's purposes. But the fact is, there's different options for Kevin Willard to deal with. How he manages his backcourt minutes really fascinates me. And can he get something more out of Tyree Samuel? Because I think we both agree, when Samuel's on, he's a really intriguing player and a very tough matchup for an opposing defense. But it's a matter of staying on, and he's yet to be a consistent factor for this program. At 6'10", Samuel is indeed a matchup nightmare for opposing teams. We'll see if he can put it together. And you mentioned some of the freshmen coming in, Brandon Weston and Ryan Conway. Another program bringing in highly touted freshman Dan Hurley at UConn, replacing James Booknight, and he's got a litany of recruits coming with him. Year three for the Huskies was an NCAA tournament appearance last year, and now they're taking the next step. Dan Hurley is already blocked out the Maryland game from the tournament from his memory, so to speak, up in stores. Where do you see the Huskies in this mix, John? Yeah, I think that they're a top three team in the Big East, if not top four team in the Big East. I can't see them being any worse than four. And I think for UConn, you don't want to put too much on freshmen. But, Jaden, when you lose James Booknight and you look at UConn's roster, UConn's roster without their freshman class is a lot of good complimentary players. RJ Cole's a good player. Is he the best player on a Big East team? He probably isn't. Tyler Polly is a good player and can be a lethal shooter. But And Isaiah Whaley's a good player too. But this team, they don't have a great, a great backcourt score heading into this season. At least on paper, they don't. There's going to be expectations for Andre Jackson. Jackson to take the next step at the wing. An injury really held him out last year, kept him from breaking out. We'll see if Jackson can be that guy for UConn because he's got some spring in his step, and I expect with an elevated role that he can play a bigger role uh, for this team and, and can deliver on that role, rather, for this team. I think for their freshman class, there's a lot of expectations around Jordan Hawkins uh, and around Russell Diggins in the backcourt, primarily Hawkins from DeMatha Catholic, um, a, a guy that comes in is a shifty wing, six foot five, can score in a variety of ways. And UConn really expects him to be someone on the perimeter that helps their offense. Uh, and for Rasul Diggins, uh, a six foot one guard who also comes in with, with high expectations. And for those freshmen, they're going to get their opportunities. Samson Johnson comes in as well, another four star guy. He's six foot 10. And the thing there is, we know that UConn has the second best big man in the Big East heading into this season. Maybe the best, but heading into this season, second best in Adama Sanogo, who I fully expect to take a major, major leap as a sophomore. UConn's going to defend and rebound. They're going to do that very well. Those are the constants with Dan Hurley's team. But last year, that Maryland loss, as wiped out as it may be, exposed UConn's 
offense. They were not a connected team on the offensive end of the floor at times last year. They've got to find a connection. And maybe they'll find that connection by not having a great star uh, because they're going to have to be connected. They're going to have to move the basketball. But, you know, you got to find someone who can finish games. Book Knight was that guy last year. So my biggest thing with UConn is can the Huskies find that finisher down the stretching games? Is there someone that can finish for them? Who is taking that final shot for UConn this upcoming season? I think if you asked a couple people, they'd give you a couple different answers, right, Jaden? I, I don't think that there's one sole guy for UConn. And that's my biggest concern is who's going to step up and be that alpha for this team? Very valid point there, Raised as we're talking to John Fanta of Fox Sports and the Big East Digital Network, talking about some of the teams to watch in the Big East, UConn being one of them. And they're all done in for Villanova, who it was announced started a home-and-home series with UCLA, two games in the next three seasons. UCLA will host first at Pauley Pavilion this coming November. And then the 23-24 season, Mick Cronin and the Bruins will return the favor and go to Philadelphia. But you look at Villanova, John, Colin Gillespie is back. Justin Moore is back. Brian Antoine could be 100% and in line to make more of an impact for the Wildcats. Cole Swider is gone. He transferred to Syracuse. But Jay Wright has managed to put it together and be the class of the conference year in and year out. Trey Patterson will be there for a full season as well on the main line. You look at Villanova, what is stopping this team from potentially being a national champion? And what makes this team so attractive to where it can go all the way, just like it did in 16 and 18? Well, it's a really good question. And I do think that Gonzaga, UCLA, Texas, all would like a word too, and all have that same mindset, even Kansas this year, because they did add Remy Martin from Arizona State and have a terrific class coming in. Villanova's going to have opposition there at the top. Um, They're not the clear runaway favorite. However, they are a favorite. And the reason why they're a favorite is because you asked what's stopping them. Nothing's stopping Colin Gillespie, um, providing he stays healthy, from being a guy that just engineers anything and everything for this Villanova team. And Jay Wright has shown us, from Ryan Archdiakono to Jalen Brunson and now Gillespie, that when he has point guard play, he is really, really, really tough to beat. Uh, Jermaine Samuels holds things down. Defensively, he holds things down for Villanova, and he's a super freak athletically who rebounds the basketball well. If Jermaine Samuels is shooting from the perimeter well, goodness, he is a really, really dangerous player because there's not, there's not one way that you can possibly stop him. I think for Villanova, what's stopping them from being the best team? What's stopping them is, do they have enough really good complementary shooting? Um, they have some options. There's no question about that. And they're going to have Justin Moore. They're going to have Caleb Daniels. You talked about some of the additions of the freshman class, and those freshmen are going to be on the floor to do one thing, and that thing is to shoot the basketball well. Um, Villanova is a catch-and-shoot factory. So for them to be at their best – those catch-and-shoot guys have to make shots. Now, when they're hitting, they're, it, it, it's like an avalanche. There's, there's just no way that you can possibly compete with them at times on certain days. Um, but I do think that for Villanova, we do know that there are 
main pieces for this team. What we don't know is how exactly Jay Wright paves out um, the complementary players in a way that that works to the degree that Villanova national championship teams can work. Uh, Villanova's a little thin at the five, but look, they've been thin at the five before. They can play small ball. Um, I'm interested to see what they look like at the five. You know, they're, they're going to rely on, on Eric Dixon um, to do some things for them. They have a kid coming in named Nana Njoku. I don't know exactly what they can expect from him, but they'll rely on him to do some stuff too. So for Villanova, I'm wondering about exactly what they look like in terms of those complimentary players. There's no question Trey Patterson is, is going to continue um, to get better and should add something. Brian Antoine came on at the end of last season, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, but when you have Gillespie and when you have Samuels, you're going to win a ton of games, and, and they're going to. I think the, the next thing is, like, can Justin Moore take another jump? If he does, if he does and really takes off as a, as a scorer, as a shooter, then man, oh, man, uh, the Villanova Wildcats could be hoisting that national title trophy in New Orleans this upcoming April. Talking to John Fanta of Fox Sports, the Big East Digital Network, Big East Insider, and one of the foremost authorities on basketball in that conference. Now, John, we talked about the prospective top four. Now we'll look at some of the other teams in the league, maybe the best of the rest, if you will. Who heads up that second tier? You see Xavier making some impact moves as well, beefing up its offense behind Paul Scruggs. Jack Nungy, the transfer from Iowa, is going to have a very big role for Travis Steele and the Musketeers. Creighton is always a factor. Georgetown won the Big East tournament with Dante Harris, its freshman guard, earning most outstanding player honors. So he'll be back for Patrick Ewing. And you got Marquette under Shaka Smart. You have Providence, who's always there as well. And a Butler team that I think is getting lost in the shuffle and overlooked with a deceptively strong and young roster ready to take the next step for Laval Jordan. Who is the best of the rest and could contend for that other spot in the top half of the conference, John. Yeah, I think that UConn and St. John's are going to be right there. But I think that if there's a third team that I'm betting on, it is Butler. It is Butler. And I'll tell you why. Experience wins. They bring back over 90% of their scoring from last year. This team has a senior guard in Aaron Thompson who is a game manager, defends the heck out of you, is going to take your lunch the moment you get off the bus and someone who's going to guard you for 40 minutes. When you have that at the point guard and you add in Chuck Harris, Miles Tate, Bo Hodges from East Tennessee State, who I think only scratched the surface last year, Jaden. Remember that Butler was a team. They got really hit with COVID. Their season got, got all jumbled. They were having a ton of trouble playing games. And someone might say, John, a lot of teams got hit by COVID. Butler was hit the second hardest in the Big East last season next to DePaul, who, who was, a, frankly, just a, a train wreck with everything happening with COVID uh, and then what ended up happening in their season. For Butler, I think having a clean season and having a, a, an offseason to actually work with these young guards, you know that they're going to be good in the front court. Bryce Enzi and Bryce Golden are tough, tough you-know-what. Uh, they're, they're just those types of players that you have a tough time facing because 
They make you work for everything you're going to get, and they rebound the basketball well. For Butler, the key is this. Can they get to 65 points? And can they do it efficiently? If they hit 70, I, I want to check on this once we get the season started. What will Butler's record be if they hit 70 points this season? I can't see them losing much because, Jaden, they are terrific on the defensive end of the floor. And more than anything, you know what word comes to mind with Butler? Discipline. Discipline. They're a disciplined group. They beat Villanova last year. They beat Creighton last year. Uh, and they showed their growth at the end of the season. They knocked Xavier out of the NCAA tournament picture at the Garden at the Big East Tournament. That was a huge win for such a young team, a young and injured team, I might add. So for me and my money, uh, I like Butler. I like the upside with this group. They don't do it sexy. They don't do it necessarily in the most compelling of ways, but they win. They make you work for what you get. And so I like Butler even more so than Xavier. Xavier has talent, but Xavier has to finish. They have to show me that they could play good basketball in February because they've yet to show that when that time of year comes around. Um, so if I were to go with three teams in the second tier, I would go St. John's, UConn, Butler in some way, shape, or order. Talking to John Fanta, Fox Sports Media's digital network, some potential contenders to Villanova. And with the BD season getting underway in November and the conference season to tip off at the end of December going into January, what are some of the games that catch your eye when the lead schedule is officially announced? Obviously, UConn coming back to Madison Square Garden first to play St. John's, presumably, before the Big East tournament is always going to be a big one. A true 50-50 game, if you will. St. John's is technically the home team, but UConn will probably have more fans in the crowd than the Red Storm faithful <laughs> might. I'm, and I know I'm going to catch some heat for this from the fan base in the alma mater, but UConn takes over the Garden like very few. And then you have Villanova. You have Seton Hall trying to win in Philadelphia once again for the second time in three years, possibly win at the Pavilion for the first time since 1994, which seems like forever ago. And then you have Creighton with its home court advantage in Omaha, Butler and Xavier. John, what are some of the games that are going to catch your eye? I think just as much as you bring up UConn, St. John's, how about UConn when it does travel to the Dunkin' Donuts Center to take on Providence? That will be Dan Hurley versus Ed Cooley. Mm -hmm. Remember the, the bad blood that they've had when Dan was at URI? And a crowd enhances that. A crowd gets that all going. All that drama going. So I expect UConn at PC to be a real bloodbath. I'm, I'm expecting a war. I think it'll be physical. I think it's going to be – you hear the ambulance in the background, Jane? You might have to have one outside the arena uh, for that game because I, I think the fans are going to be hostile. I think that place is going to be rocking. Uh, and no, folks, that was not staged. That, that thing just drove by me. Um, but other games that fit. Uh, I would say Xavier and Butler, both games, because I expect them to be two of the better Midwest teams in the league. And Jaden, Xavier Butler is a really good rivalry. Doesn't get talked about a ton nationally, but there's some bad blood between those two teams. So I expect when they meet up for that to be a, a really interesting game. Uh, a couple others that come to mind, you know, I'm curious um, to see what Shaka Smart's early schedule looks like. You know, who's he going to play early? Um, 
Marquette Georgetown is always a really interesting conference matchup. It seems like it's it's normally important. And a game that's not really a rivalry, but the two teams seem to play some eventful games, particularly in DC uh, in the recent years. So I'm I'm intrigued by that. Seton Hall St. John's has continued to pick up traction here in the recent years. So when Seton Hall and St. John's meet, has St. John's overcome Seton Hall? Have they officially taken over? You know, Jaden, at the end of the day, St. John's was looking better than Seton Hall at the end of last season. And what happened? Seton Hall beat them in the Big East tournament. And Seton Hall took two of three from St. John's last year. This should be a year where St. John's should be trying to overtake the crown in that rivalry. We'll see what Seton Hall-St. John's looks like this upcoming season. And then elsewhere, um, anytime that Villanova travels to Hinkle Fieldhouse, it's a, it's a real eye-catching game because Villanova has really struggled at Butler. And that game has typically been on a weekend, and there's nothing like a weekend day game at Hinkle Fieldhouse. It's, it's one of my favorite, if not favorite, place to be for a weekend game. It's, it's just amazing. The sunlight comes in on the building. And it's awfully cool. So those are some of the conference matchups that, that I have my eye on. And I think that in the Big East, like for the schedule makers, setting up UConn and St. John's early in the conference schedule would be really, really fun. Um, setting up Providence uh, UConn as well would be really interesting. Xavier Butler as well. And I think that for, for me, I'm really looking at what a first-year head coach like Shaka Smart has to deal with early on in conference play. Because that can make or break your season. If you could get off to a good start in conference play, sometimes you're able to, to keep things in a good place. Chaka's team's going to be young. Uh, I think he's going to turn Marquette around. I don't know if that happens right away, but a lot of that could depend upon just exactly how challenging their schedule is. Very well said, John. And we look into potential preseason all-conference honorees. I think Colin Gillespie is as close to a lock as you can get for preseason player <laughs> of the year. But who joins him on the first team when everybody converges upon Madison Square Garden in another two months? You figure Julian Champagny will be there. Posh Alexander might be there as well. I'd put him there. Do, do, we, see, do we see a Jared Roden crack the top five or six perhaps for Seton Hall? Who would you put on your first and second all-conference teams? Yeah, so so what I would do is if it's a six-member first team because they count the player of the year, then they add five. I know everyone has their own opinions on that, but that's what they do. I would do Colin Gillespie. I would do Jared Roden. I would do Julian Champagny, and I would do Posh Alexander. So that means I have four. Then I have a decision to make. Do I go Paul Scruggs or Zach Fremantle? I'd probably lean towards Paul Scruggs. I think that he's been an extremely important player perhaps the most important player for Xavier. Travis Steele would agree with me on that, I think. So I'm going to vote for Paul Scruggs. And then I have an open slot. And there's a lot of directions that you could go with that open slot. But I'm going to go with Nate Watson, the center from Providence. I just think that he's a double-double machine, and he's going to be one of the best big men in the country. So I'll go with Nate Watson from Providence. When you get to the second team, there are a variety of ways, avenues, that you can go. Um, Adama Sonogo at UConn comes to mind. Zach Fremantle at Xavier comes to mind. Aaron Thompson at Butler is someone that I would consider voting for, if not um, a Bryce Enzi thinking about him because he has good numbers. He defends really well. The coaches seem to be high on him uh, when, they, when they talk about players. You know, Justin Lewis is another guy that could be an honorable mention but could be 
kind of around that area. Uh, but we'll see. In terms of what the second team really looks like, it's, it's kind of a jumble um, because you have unproven players at Georgetown, uh, Marquette, DePaul, Creighton. You know, you have a lot of young pieces and parts. So how do those things get hashed out when you're voting for a second team? It's going to be really interesting. And I do think we're going to see a name or two on there that's kind of a coach's guess because I, I think, Jaden, that the league has depth in players. But I'm not necessarily sure of what the league's star power looks like. And that's what fascinates me about the Big East this season. I think we're going to see stars bloom. And I actually think that because of, because of where the conference is right now, that we might see it become easier this season for some freshmen to, to be a little bit better than they would be in another year. Because I think that there's such a loaded freshman class coming in, and there is a need from some coaches for a star to be born this upcoming season. I think UConn's looking for that next star. Uh, I think in some ways Georgetown, even though Dante Harris is a, is a really, really good player, but they have a need, and their freshman class could present uh, an answer to that need. Creighton is super young. Is, is uh, Ryan Nemhard going to be the answer there for Creighton at point guard, that incoming freshman? Marquette's very young. DePaul's very young. So there, there's a lot of young teams, and the experienced teams have a lot of good players, but they don't necessarily – like Butler doesn't have an outstanding player on their team. They just have a lot of really good pieces and parts, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just that finding those all-conference selections as we go down the line, especially in the preseason, it'll be interesting to see how the coaches vote because I gave you a first team there, but I didn't give you a definitive second team. I think you'd have to agree that we have to do some some more digging on exactly who that ninth, tenth, eleventh best player in the Big East would be this upcoming season. Absolutely, not to mention Justin Moore and Jermaine Samuels of Villanova. If either of oh, those two point. get left off the first team, you figure maybe the Wildcats will get two first teamers just off reputation, and whoever doesn't make the first team with Gillespie probably lands on the second. Yeah, very good point. And you know what? Uh, forgive me. In my, in my deep dive, it's, it's kind of funny. Sometimes you almost forget about Villanova, which sounds so weird, but it's like you just account for how good they are that you start debating some of the other players in the league because you just know Villanova is going to have all-conference honorees. So there's no question the coaches are going to have Gillespie, Samuels, and more in that top ten. Um, does Samuels deserve a first team nod? He may. He may. So that may knock off. Um, a Paul Scruggs or a Nate Watson. I personally, I might be in the minority in this. I have been, I've been very tight on this. I've said that I believe Champagne and Alexander are two of the best five or six players in the Big East Conference. So I would both, I would have them both on the first team. Uh, I think they deserve it. Um, maybe, maybe someone disagrees with me. Maybe they think Posh Alexander will take a step back. I, for one, do not think that. I agree with you on both counts, and it's very easy to highlight the rest of the teams in the conference. It just underscores Villanova's brilliance, and we'll see who is the primary contender to the Wildcats, who are the unquestioned number one going into the BD season. We have a lot to talk about over the course of the next seven months between now and early August as we record this and Selection Sunday in March. John Fanta helping us preview it, doing a great job, as he always does, on Fox Sports and the Big East Digital Network. 
the voice of the Big East, men's basketball, women's basketball, and just about anything else the conference sponsors under the sun, doing a great job with us, helping us kick off season two on this Daily Dose of Hoops podcast. John, always a pleasure, buddy. Enjoy the rest of the offseason. We'll see you soon. Jaden, it's always, always good to talk to you. And to all your listeners, I hope everybody's doing well. Here's to a great college basketball season. And you know what? You should be thankful that you get to follow Daily Dose of Hoops because for those not following, they're missing out. There is not a better local website for different metropolitan hoops news and beyond the metropolitan area in college basketball. Uh, Jaden, you consistently go above and beyond. And I'm looking forward to reading all your work and listening to your work this upcoming season. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, John. Appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate you.